Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org. Well, my name is um, Noah, and I'm uh, one of the pastors here at the church. Um, today we are tackling, this is the last section of our book, <clears throat> our, um, the book of Galatians, and uh, this is the last section of our summer series called Keep in Step. We made it through, amen? Um, last week, Pastor Drew um, preached through Galatians 5 all the way up to Galatians 6.10, and it was awesome. Um, I would highly recommend you go back and watch it. And um, who's got something from the series this summer, right? Yeah. Isn't it being so good? And even for me, as I'm reading, reading commentaries and digging deeper, it's always really fun because I'll find these, these moments of revelation, these thoughts, these gems that are in Scripture, and I'm like, oh, this is going to be really fun to share with everyone I know. And so um, last week, Pastor Drew, his kind of summed up phrase was this, the family of God, walk with the Spirit, fulfills the law of Christ, and reaps a harvest of the fruit of the Spirit. Amen? Amen. Today, we're going to be covering this final section, Galatians 11, 6, 11 through 18. I'm going to be reading out the ESV. We'll have it up on the screens. You can follow along in your Bible if you'd like. <clears throat> and I'm going to read this entire passage, and I'm going to kind of walk through line by line and verse by verse and kind of hope to unpack some of it and apply it to our life. Let's read the passage first, starting in verse 11. See what large letters I, I being Paul in this, use as I write to you with my own hands. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not only those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision or uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of Lord Jesus of Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Amen. Thankfully, this is the third time I get to preach about circumcision. <laughs> if you're here throughout the summer, almost every time I've preached has been on circumcision. We... And you know, like, I go through probability in my mind a lot. Like, what's the likelihood? What's the percentage of a chance? We just kind of laid out the summer. Oh, you're on vacation. Let's take this section. We broke apart. It just happened to be. The other guys didn't even preach on circumcision. It was all me. And we, like, moved stuff around and everything. So I'm really, really excited. <laughs> I do say, I do feel like this, though. It has, we've been really cutting to the core of the issue. 
And I do appreciate this, how we've kind of, each pastor has kind of taken us through. We've really chopped it up well. Uh, <laughs> uh, every time I drop one of these, I feel like I get, become more of a dad, you know, just, it grows. Well, today marks the end of this book of Galatians, the summer series, Keep in Step. And um, next week, Pastor Raul, Pastor Drew, and myself are going to be doing a roundtable. Um, and I highly recommend you to come. Um, we kind of dive into some stuff that we can't just cover in one message. So I think it's going to be awesome. And I think it's going to be really good. So, okay. Let's cut to the chase. <laughs> this last one. <laughs> Let's start in verse 11 and 12. It says this. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hands. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross. See what large letters. Um, in commentaries, it says that Paul either meant the size that he was writing, meaning he was just writing in all caps, or, and or he wrote actually in long, there's a lot of letters he sent to them. Both of those mean one thing, though, that he really cared for this church in Galatia. It seems that as we look into this and you read about it, he had this special love for this church in Galatia, so much so that he, willing, he wasn't just willing to encourage them, but he was willing to say the hard thing to them. In Psalms, it reminds me, in Psalms 27, it says, Better is an open rebuke than hidden love, and faithful are the wounds of a friend. Have you ever had a friend say a really hard thing to you? And you're like, oh, I kind of hate you, but it's the right thing, right? From what we read, Paul loved this church, and he couldn't allow them to go back to this old ceremonial law. Because throughout the entire, the entire book of, of Galatians, he keeps hitting one thing. If you hold on to these Old Testament law, to this old ceremonial law, you cannot embrace Christ at the same time. And they had this tendency to keep going back to this over and over and over again. And the pressure was to conform was really intense. He says, those who want to impress people by means of the flesh. In our terms, we could just call it, they're wrestling with peer pressure to some degree. And all of us have probably encountered peer pressure at some moment in our life. And it's far more powerful than you think. Especially when you're surrounded with voices that are telling you something contrary to you know what is right. In this church, was battling with that. The pressure to once again take up the law and by doing so, abandon Christ and his work on the cross. And that's why it's so and so important to surround yourself with the right voices. Amen? Ones that will call you to a higher level and also call you out when needed. Because we are truly in this together. And one of the purposes of the body is that we would spur each other on and help each other in this marathon race of faith. The church in Galatia <clears throat> wasn't just facing this social pressure, but it's also a cultural pressure, pressure. And then layered on top of that was a political pressure. 
There's this commentary from David Guzek. Um, he writes a lot of commentaries about scripture. He had some really interesting insight about this political pressure that the church in Galatia was walking through. It says this, Their unwillingness to stand in the face of this pressure made them stand for false doctrines. They were motivated, this church in Galatia was motivated by something, by a fear of Rome. There's also another way to consider this. By aligning Christianity with Judaism through emphasizing circumcision in the law of Moses, men could escape persecution from the Romans. To advocate circumcision was to align the new movement with Judaism, a religion that had official Roman sanction, and therefore one that avoided persecution. The preachers Paul was opposing may have included the cross in their proclamation, but by adding the necessity of circumcision so that they avoid persecution. Simply put, Rome was okay with Judaism. Rome was the conquering nation that came into this land, into this area. And as they conquered, they sanctioned and said, okay, you Jews, you can practice the law of Moses. You can hold these beliefs to be true. You can practice circumcision. We sanction this. But what Rome was not okay with was this new sect that began to rise from that, the follower of Jesus, the followers of the way. They were not, that Rome was not okay with that. And Rome was actively trying to stamp out this, this new faith as quick as they could. So that's why you have this tension rising. And that's why what they were trying to do was this. Oh, just, you know, follow Jesus, but let's still hold on to law, to this old sanction so that Rome won't persecute us. We're going to say this, follow Jesus, lay your life down, and make sure you get circumcised and do X, Y, and Z so that Rome won't come and find you and, and persecute you. There is a push to circumcise believers and preach this workspace faith so they could be counted in the eyes of the Romans as followers of Judaism, and be left alone and safe. But this push was all to do fix the same thing, to deal with this outward appearance. Paul writes, he says, to impress people by means of the flesh, meaning this, I dress right, I do the right thing, I fulfill X, Y, and Z. I fulfill this thing of the Old Testament law, I do this thing right, I have salvation, right? But it's the same spirit that Jesus dealt with. The spirit of the, this religious law of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It reminds me of even what Jesus said in Matthew 23, 27 through 28. He says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you're hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs, whose outward appear, outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones in all uncleansiness so that you also outwardly appear righteous to others but with you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness really simply you look pretty on the outside but inside there is death inside of you and that death that inside of you it smells it has its own aroma it stinks Jesus and the followers of God also have an aroma that's different. 
And that's why when Jesus came and brought salvation to people, he wasn't interested in fixing an outward appearance. It wasn't what you did or what you dressed and how many steps you took in a day and what you ate or didn't eat. All of those things were outwardly. What he was interested in is what's going on in here. Because what goes on out of in here comes out in here. And that's why I think the followers of Jesus, instead of having that aroma of death, that whitewashed tomb with dead people's bones, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have a different aroma. And that's one of life. Because you've had an encounter with Jesus who is the author of life. And so everything inside of you isn't just transformed on the outside. It's transformed in the most important place, in your hearts and in your minds. And if you've been around Christians long enough, you can kind of recognize that Holy Spirit inside of them. You can even detect that aroma. Have you ever randomly met a a person and you kind of know they're a Christian right out of the gate? (laughs) Because the same spirit that resides in you resides in them. And life can detect life. And you can be like, oh, are, are you a Christian? They're like, I am. They're like, I knew it. Yeah. Happens to me often. And I also think that's why unsaved people are sometimes captivated by the people of God. Or that they feel something even when they come to a gathering. They go, I don't know what's up with this place, but I like it. It's the life of Jesus. <laughs> it's life and life abundantly. And when you are so removed from that, when you have this death that is attached to you, man, the life of Jesus is so captivating. It's like being surrounded in darkness and then all of a sudden, this glimmer of light is very, very bright. The followers of Jesus, or the followers of Jesus in the book of Galatians were radically changed by this message. They received salvation. They had seen signs and wonders. They witnessed many, many miracles. But old habits die very hard. And fear begin to creep into their, into their hearts. The church of Galatia began to allow the opinion of man to outweigh the opinion of God. And fear is a powerful motivator. It will drive you in all sorts of places. And the fear of the new believers in Galatia was really, really intense. Think of this. When we read the Bible, oftentimes we read it looking in. And for us, even if you would read through the book of Galatians, sometimes it's just like, what's the big deal? Because it doesn't have any effect on us. We don't understand even the cultural impact it made. That we would read and be like, why are you guys keep preaching circumcision and keep talking about this religious law? says, follow Jesus and give it up. Because we have no cultural understanding of the intensity of it. Think of it in this way. Imagine you're Jewish and your father, so you're circumcised, your father circumcised, your great-grandfather's circumcised and goes on for thousands of years. And all of those people have held these traditions, both physical and practical. That what they ate, how they lived, what they wore, where they went, all was wrapped up in these tradition, in this religious law. All of it. Their entire life, it wasn't just a momentary thing. Their entire life was engrossed in this thing. And then Jesus comes along. And Jesus says, I am the fulfillment of the law. You don't have to practice those things anymore. 
you become a follower of Jesus. And you're like, okay. And then all of a sudden, you have your dad looking at you and he's like, so why aren't you doing the Jewish thing? Oh, I follow Jesus now. What? <laughs> your brother looks at you and he's just like, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. What? Wait, it doesn't matter if you're circumcised or it doesn't matter if you ate this or did this. He's like, yeah, yeah, no, no, I follow Jesus. He's the fulfillment of it. Is there something wrong with you? <laughs> it's intense. Think about your friend circle. You become a follower of Jesus and all of a sudden your cultural connection, everything that you even talk about and live and eat is different now because you're a follower of Jesus. Think about even in your job and your status. Think about this. You're a follower of Jesus. You come in and you say hi to your Jewish boss. <laughs> and you're like, oh. And he's like, hey, I, I heard something about you. So you don't do what we all do anymore? You don't do this practice and this practice? You don't believe this way anymore? Or how about this? Walking through the marketplace in some of these villages in whispers and people being like, this guy, he's, he doesn't follow Judaism anymore. He follows that, that crazy sect called Christianity. He follows this. He does something different and you're marked as different. When you put it in that context, you understand the intensity of it and you want to be and understand their desire to even be like, ah, can I just go back? Can I just go back to this old way of thinking and living and behaving and following these rules? Can I just go back? And Paul is just like, no. Because the moment you begin to embrace this old law, this old ceremonial law, as your purpose for salvation, you abandon Christ in it. It's intense. I even think of that passage when Jesus encounters the rich young ruler. Remember that? The rich young ruler says, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. And Jesus is like, good for you, man. And he goes, how do I get salvation? Jesus is like, sell it all and follow me. In the story, he could never do it. It says he went away sad. The fear, this fear motivator is a very real thing and intense. Gets even, so think about it in a social way, job way, friends, family way. There's also the reality, if you were a follower of Jesus at the time, you were afraid of Rome. Rome was the conquering nation that came in, and Romans were brutal. There was a brutality that was built into it. So that you were only afraid of maybe of cultural or social rejection. You were afraid for your very life, and maybe the lives of your mom or your dad or your friends or your family. So to follow Jesus in this time, in this tendency, in this propensity to go back to the old thing, it makes a lot of sense. Because following Jesus is incredibly intense and scary, and it requires that you would give up everything. Was it worth it for them? It was worth it to Paul. Following Jesus was worth it to Paul. As he was shipwrecked multiple times, he was imprisoned and he was beaten. It was worth it to many of the disciples that followed him, that followed Jesus. 
that were crucified upside down, decapitated, exiled on the islands and tortured. And it's been worth it for countless people in scripture and in history who endured persecution and suffering unlike many of us will ever experience. Because following Jesus will really cost you. And I don't think we talk about that element enough. We're like, oh yeah, it's all great. I'm like, no, it will cost you much. Because it's this, lose your life and find it. Pick up your cross and follow me. (laughs) I think there's a frustration that sometimes gets in the lives of believers. Because in scripture, it tells us to leave everything and pick up the cross and follow him. And there's this tendency in believers, I see, where we're trying to pick up the cross and move it, but we have a carry-on with us. (laughs) We have that little... And we're trying to drag this thing behind and move this cross. But if you were to follow Christ in its intensity and its fullness, you need two hands, a shoulder, (laughs) and you need to move forward with all the might that you have. Nothing can come with you on this journey. You must drop everything and pick up the cross. Everything meaning your old ways. For them in this time in the book of Galatia, their old traditions, your old way of thinking, your old way of behaving, all has to be lost in this pursuit of him. Lose your life to find it. Easier said than done. But why do people do it then? Why do you do it? Why do I do it? Why does the Apostle Paul do it and all these people? Because miraculously enough, Jesus is worth it. That everything else will fade. Everything else will turn to dust and ashes. But Jesus, the eternal one, will remain. And his work in your soul and in your life will remain. He is the prize and the portion. And you know what's wild is, even if everything that you give up, It's still not enough. (laughs) You have to rely on the grace of God. As often as the sun rises, his grace is new for you every day. And those people endured because of one thing. And it's because Jesus, and he's so worth it. And would fear when it raise its ugly head, like much of the fear that the, the church in Galatia dealt with. I think of this passage that was written in 2 Timothy 1, 7. God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control or a sound mind. My wife just taught my son to memorize that verse. And we follow that spirit and we build our life not on fear of something unstable. Because being afraid of something leaves you very, very shaky but we build our life on Christ, the rock. And we begin to put our opinion of him in opinion of God's thoughts of us on the chief, the primary, the top thing. And that becomes our motivator. The opinion of God is far greater than the opinion of man. He is our rock and our firm foundation. And when he is that, we are not so swayed to and fro when things come, winds come, change comes, things come. Because in Ephesians 4.14, it says this, And so we, so that we may no longer be children tossed to 
and fro, by the waves and carried about in every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness or deceitful schemes, that you would be unshakable by as culturally pulls one way or the other, you would be unshakable when the enemy would whisper in your ear. You would be unshakable when somebody is trying to deceive you or trick you because your life is not built on a thing of fear or the opinions of man, but your life is built on Christ and it leaves you unshakable because truly we're not motivated or even held to what's going on in culture. What we're held to and what we build our life on is what we see in scripture. Amen? And from what we read, Jesus is always the ultimate prize in that his spirit, if we follow him, will lead us in all circumstances. Our, bar, our part to play is both simple and difficult. Pick up your cross and follow him. <laughs> Easier said than done, right? And the cross, in many ways, is the execution of your own will, your own way, in your own desires. Think about when Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane. He was praying with intensity. And he said, Lord, if this cup can pass by me, blood out of his head with sweat. And this prayer went on, but you know how his prayer ended? He goes, not my will, but your will be done. The purpose of the cross is the execution of your will, of your way, of your thoughts, of everything. And that you would say as you're a follower of Jesus and you would pick up that cross, you'd be like, okay, Lord, not my way no more. <laughs> your way. I'm not going to hate my enemies anymore, but Lord, I'm going to love them <laughs> and I'm going to pray for them. In him, and as we pick up this cross and as we follow him and are led by his spirit, there's only one thing left to do. <laughs> you got to trust in God. <laughs> it doesn't leave you with very many options on the other side of it. And we trust in the Lord and we see in lines like this, lean not on your own understanding. I trust God when I can't see around the corner of life. I trust God when I have a mountain in my way. Or I trust God when I have a valley that I have to wander through. And I, don't be, and I don't let fear lead me because of one thing that it says in the Psalms and probably throughout the entirety of scripture. While we pick up the cross, while we follow God, while we go through really hard times, you know what the comfort is in all that? Still the Jesus is the ultimate prize. It's because he's with you, you're not afraid. Not because the valley is, is not scary or not dark or not difficult. It doesn't say any of that. It's saying it will be dark. It will be hard. It will be difficult. But take comfort, believer, for one reason. Jesus is with you. Amen? In the valleys and in the, and in the hilltops. He was with the Apostle Paul as he pins many of the books of the Bible. He and his, he, was, he was with Paul as he spoke to crowds of people and he was honored, honored in churches. But he was also with Paul when he was in a prison cell. He was with Paul in that prison cell. Many of the pages you would read in scripture were written 
probably with a guard watching him. Maybe even having a beating or even being persecuted to some degree. He wrote these pages. God's with you. God loves you. Stay strong. Because Jesus, in the end of the day, changes everything about you. And he becomes worth it in the face of even persecution. Verse 13 and 14. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law. Yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. They may boast. In essence, this is the battle of pride. They're hypocrites, Paul says. They don't even keep the law themselves because it always leads back to this saying, look at me, look what I did, look at my righteousness for my salvation. But pride in the kingdom of God, they really don't mix well. You know what it says in scripture? There's only a few things that said about this. God resists the proud. It's not that he ignores or even looks to the side. He actively resists pride in people. And you know why I believe, I think, I believe it's a core issue and it's a core sin because pride says this, it's my way, not your way. And so many things stem from that by trying to do it your way. And when you are that, and when you are so prideful, God will resist you in that because you're trying to do something that you cannot fix. You can't save yourself. You can't bring redemption to yourself. You can't bring salvation. And the cross becomes this stumbling block for some and, some, and the cross is something that people cling to, these two things. Because the cross is the opposite of pride. It has to kill the pride because it requires you to rely on something else. I can't do it. You can't do it. I can't bring salvation or life and life abundantly to me. I have to rely on Jesus and his work on the cross. In that path, it requires that dying to self and to humility. And the cross is the ultimate symbol of humiliation, to be brought low. In the times that it was written, the cross was thought of very differently than we think about it in churches here in 2023. We have symbols of crosses all throughout. Maybe you even have a necklace that you would wear. At that time when it was written, the cross was profane. It was an instrument of torture brought in from foreign invaders to use for the lowest of the low in the most wretched of people, they would be crucified. Think of this even. If you were at a dinner party, like a nice dinner party, you're hanging out with Jewish people, you're eating flatbread and hummus, I don't know. If you were to mention the cross or crucifixion, that would be like profane. That would be using profanity in the midst. The place would pause and come to a standstill and be like, ooh, why is he bringing up the cross and crucifixion? Because we're so far removed from it. But this symbol was the thing, this instrument of torture was the lowest of the low. So you have this beautiful contrast. You have Jesus, 
the one who spoke things into existence, who says has host of heavenly armies, goes to the lowest possible thing at the lowest possible moment and gets crucified. You have this antithesis, but it teaches us something. We must lose our life to find it. We must be brought low like Jesus to find it. We must die to our old self and we must embrace this new creation that we can become in Christ. And sin always gets in the way, right? Always. And sin always gets in the way in this way. It wants to rebind you. Christ came to set you free, but sin has this tendency. It wants to retie you up. And Jesus is like, no, stay free in me. Amen? And that's why I think it's so critical in your walk with the Lord. It's to do this one thing, and it's, it's so simple, and you know it. You keep Christ and Jesus central in your life. Because if you keep him central, I think everything else will follow. I had this moment of revelation years ago as I was trying to juggle all these things. <clears throat> and I felt the Lord speak to me and just say, just sit in my presence. Just sit in that living water and think about even a hot spring. If you get into a hot spring and you're in a mountain, that water, it just flows downhill. Those paths of righteousness, those desires that you want to fulfill in the kingdom of God, they're all gonna flow downhill if you stay in the presence of God. It's really simple and it may be even overly simple, but I promise you, taking moments and letting your life be central around the presence of God, everything else will follow. It's incredibly simple, but man, it, it makes your life so much more co less complex. Stay in his presence and he'll lead you down all things and that water will find its way downhill. It leads me not to worry about even tomorrow and it's all in all of its unknown because I know that God is able. He's able and he was able then. And when you read through the scripture, parting Red Seas, preserving people's lives, doing miracles, healing the sick, the Lord is able in scripture and he's able today that the miracles that you read in scripture are to encourage you in your faith that, and even for you to say to your next situation, Lord, you did it then. You can do it again. The work of the cross is a free gift to you. If you're not a believer, you're not a follower of Jesus, it is a free gift to salvation to you. You, as a recipient, have to do one thing. You have to open that gift. Opening the gift does require something of you. That you would, it says, that you would repent and embrace Christ and follow him. But it's a free gift. And it's a life that is, is full of freedom and the miraculous. Because God is, is in, his, in his nature to be supernatural. It is who he is. He makes the impossible possible because it is in his nature. Sometimes there's this divide amongst Christians when sometimes they don't want the supernatural, but they follow a supernatural God. You don't want this miracle, this something. You follow a God that is in his nature to do miracles. You're scared of this healing or this word or this stuff, or you're like, oh, I don't know if I'm into that. But if you were a Christian and believer, you believe in a God that spoke everything to existence. Yeah. 
You believe in a God that died and came back to life. It's all miraculous and is in his nature because he is the God that makes the, poss or the impossible possible. It's in his very nature. The very fabric of creation was built from nothing. It was not possible and then he, it was impossible and he made it possible. It's in his nature to do that. And when you open up that impossible gift that is salvation, impossible things begin to happen around you. And if you've walked with the Lord for any length of time, you would know and you have seen the miraculous happen. I have seen amazing things in people in this room, the faces in this room, they have seen miraculous things. I have seen people healed. I have seen hard hearts turned. I have seen financial and miraculous provision. I've seen protection. I've seen so many things that my life is now built on this thing where I'm like, Lord, you're able. Lord, you're willing. Lord, I'm going to lay my hands on this next sick person and I'm going to believe because I've seen it. And if you were to ask around this room about, ask maybe older and wiser believers, you would be so encouraged by the stories they would tell. And it always leads to one thing. It leads to you saying, man, the Lord is good. <laughs> Think of this. Who gets credit when someone's drowning? Not the drowning person, right? It's David Hasselhoff who's coming to save you. That is where the credit goes. It's not the drowning person. And we are the drowning people in this situation. That's why when we are saved, when we are redeemed, and when we are pulled out of that mess, we say, thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Because I was lost and now I'm found. And he leads me down paths of righteousness. What does it say in the Psalms? For whose namesake? For his namesake. He leads me, he saves me, then he leads me down these paths of righteousness. Not so that the name of Noah Dexter could be great. No, it won't be great. It can't be great. It's for his name to be great. So that my life would be a testament to the goodness of God. And that my life, my testimony, people would see that and be like, what is that? What is that life that impacted you? It's Jesus. And that's why people that have encountered God and are followers of Jesus, we can't help but talk about him. And he'll use your story, just like he uses my story, to tr transform people around you. Because truly, it is this beautiful story from death to life. Verse, or verse 15 and 17, it says, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Paul is saying your old rules, they mean nothing at this point. All that matters is the new creation. This new creation is you. This new creation is being transformed by the life of Christ. And all this other stuff, your attempts to make yourself righteous or to bring salvation are nothing. All you need to do is embrace Christ and that new creation that he does in you. Your attempts to, sin, to save yourself, worthless. Your attempts to even deal with your sin, worthless. 
It all relies on Jesus and his grace. And as you do that, it is definitely a process, right? I wish it was super, super easy. But just like a child has to learn how to walk, you have to learn how to carry a cross. And it does take a lot of time. But as you sow into your life, the things that you see in scripture, you will reap good fruit. Amen? You will reap good fruit in the spirit of love, joy, peace, patience. And what does that mean to be a new creation? It means that you act different, you live different, and you identify with something other than your sin. Your identity and what you identify with is incredibly important in your walk with the Lord. You won't say this anymore. I'm an angry person. You, that doesn't work with Jesus. It doesn't. You can't have your identity be rest. You would say this instead. Be like, I'm wrestling with anger, <laughs> but I'm believing that Jesus is doing something in me. Amen. And you would assign whatever that would be to your situation. Your identity does not rest in your issues or this old thing. Your identity rests in Christ in his continued sanctification through your life. You must change what you identify with in this process. Your identity is not sin. It is not your issues. It is not your shortcomings. Your identity is Christ in him and him alone. Because you are beautifully and wonderfully made. You were adopted into the family of God when you're a believer. And what the Father says about you is, remains to be the truth now. So what God says about you is the truth. And as you spend time with God, you will bear the traits of, his, of the Father, of his nature. And this truth that God speaks to you about your identity and your purpose and who you are will be transmitted to you and through you. And you begin to change and look more and more like this new creation. Do you remember the first time, Christian or believer, do you remember the first time that someone said to you, is there something different about you? You seem different, you look different. I can remember about two times specifically when I encountered someone I haven't seen, they go, you're not the same person you were. Because of Jesus. Because something fundamentally has changed inside me, everything has changed. And the Lord changed me so that I, in my life, would be a testament so, I could, so other people can be changed. That everything would lead back to Christ in his purpose for people. So that my life went from death to life. And that other people's life would go from ashes to beauty. And life begets, begets life. Very much so that death brings death. On the opposite end of the spectrum, life brings life. And Jesus brings that life. And it's that life, that spring of living water. Our call is to embrace the life, this new life and this new creation that is Jesus. Let it permeate every area of your life. And don't just be a Christian only on Sunday. Yeah. I'll tell you this, you're robbing yourself. It's a cheap and shallow and twisted way to live. It's actually far more frustrating more than anything. Leave it all. 
pick up your cross and follow him. And Jesus knows you and he knows the path ahead of you. And picking up the cross and leaving so many things behind is intimidating. But rest in this. God knows you and he has a plan and a purpose for your life. Walk in the new creation. Verse 17, it says, From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Paul, I believe, spoke of two marks, both physical and spiritual. The physical marks were from his persecution, from shipwrecks to imprisonment to beatings. But the more important mark was the spiritual mark, the mark of his life transformed. Paul was fundamentally changed when he encountered Jesus on that road. You know what happened to Paul? He got knocked off his donkey, was struck blind by Jesus, and then recovered his sight and wrote a large portion of scripture. That is his story because his life is transformed. And you, like Paul, as you follow Jesus, you will bear the marks of Christ. Your life is marked by Jesus and there will be something that is different about you and something that people will notice. The world will begin to know that you are his disciples. Why? Is because of your love for one another. This thing that motivated Christ to, or God to send his son down to a cross is the same thing that is marking our life. Our objective And even God's desire for us is that we would go into the workplace as a new creation. We'd go into our family and friends and social circles as a new creation. That we wouldn't embrace the old things, but we would live as a new creation. As you carry that cross, there's that tendency for something to always pull you back, something to always rebind you. And it's a lot of times you're listening to the wrong thing. It says in scripture to wash your mind with the word. The word is what Jesus is. So words in scripture, he's living and active, that you would wash your mind with what he says. Because Jesus, he speaks truth about you in your journey. The enemy would speak lies to you about you and your journey. But Jesus speaks truth to you about you and your journey. The lies of the enemy would maybe speak into a situation you're facing and say, it's not going to work out. I don't know if you're going to get through it. But the truth that Jesus would speak is contrary to that. Where it would be maybe impossible to have a good result of this situation. With God, what does it say? All things are possible. Maybe about your future. The enemy would say, you don't have a future. I don't think you're going nowhere. I think you're at a dead end. The enemy would speak that, but Jesus would raise his own banner in a louder voice would say, I'm here to give you a future and a hope. As we close, I wanted to read passages from scripture so that you would take these words that I'm about to read, this newness that's in Christ, this new creation that you are in Jesus, and you would take it to the rest of your Sunday, 
into work on Monday or to raising children on Monday. And that you would carry these words and they would resonate with your soul and your mind. And it would spur you on to carry your cross and follow him. To remind you that you truly are a new creation in Christ. And that these words, they would be imprinted on your hearts and your minds. We ready? First one, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new has come. Amen? Colossians 3.9-11 Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and you have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Isaiah 43, 18 through 19. Forget the former, former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Amen? Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness in streams in the wasteland. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 17. Therefore, we do not lose hearts, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Galatians 6, verse 18, the, the final thing, the thing that he leaves us with, the end of this letter to this book of Galatians. He says this, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Because Jesus is enough. <laughs>